You have heard, I'm sure, that Samaritans and Jews hated each other, but it is hard to convey in words how deep that hatred ran. There was much more than a rivalry or a sectarian conflict that held them apart. They were divided by layer after layer of history, ethnicity, culture, and religious practice, as well as all of the resentment that comes from those divisions. You will remember that shortly after King Solomon died, the nation of God's kingdom was split into two. The northern kingdom called Israel with its capital in Samaria and the southern kingdom called Judah, which was centered on Jerusalem. If a civil war were not enough grounds for hatred, when the Babylonians came and destroyed the southern kingdom and took its people captive, those people from the north, whom the Assyrians had ransacked about a generation earlier, they were left behind. Back in their own land, they continued to do what they had always done, to read their holy text, the Torah. They worshipped on their holy mountain, Mount Gerizim. They struggled to survive, but a generation or two later, when the residents of Jerusalem and the southern kingdom were released to come back home, the Samaritans found new reasons to resent their Judean counterparts. During that time of the Babylonian captivity, a lot changed. One people had lost its holy city and their temple, but the other were allowed to stay home. Without the central apparatus of their religion, the people of Judah had developed new sacred practices, new ways of staying connected with God during their exile, but the people of the northern kingdom did not recognize these perverse new practices. Even the central stories of their ancestry had been reshaped by the experience of devastation and exile and return. But when the Judeans came back and began to tell again their sacred stories, those texts which they called holy were rejected by their northern counterparts as a bastardization of God's word. But for the Judeans to reject the scripture and the practices that had held them together during the exile was to deny their experience of pain and grief and loss and God's companionship with them during the disaster. You can imagine then why such hatred persisted between these two people, ancient siblings separated by political conflict, sectarian strife, and a divergent experience. If we fast forward to Jesus' lifetime, we see that the hatred between Samaritans and Jews was not only a story from the past. Josephus, the Jewish historian, recalls that when Jesus was about seven years old, a group of Samaritans snuck into Jerusalem during the Passover festival. At midnight, 
when the temple was open for pilgrims to enter and pray, this group of Samaritans came and threw the parts of dead bodies into the temple in order to defile that sacred spot during the holy festival. Like ransacking a synagogue and spraying anti-Semitic graffiti on its walls, this act was designed to strike at the very core of who the Judeans were. Throughout the years, Samaritans and Jews were known to attack each other, still resentful for what each had done to the other, to what each represented to the other. In places like the territory in which today's gospel lesson takes place, that no person's land between Samaria and Galilee, each would capture their enemies. And if they could find any Egyptian traders nearby, they would sell their enemies into slavery, never to be seen or heard from again. That hatred, that hatred was the basis for the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story in which Jesus calls us to question everything we thought we knew about who is our neighbor. And it's also the background for today's story, the story about the miraculous healing of ten lepers. Despite everything that separated the Samaritans and the Jews, as the story of the ten lepers begins, there is nothing left to distinguish one leper from another. All ten are united in their shared ostracization from society. Leprosy was any number of stigmatizing skin ailments that required complete separation from other people. If you were labeled a leper, you were not allowed to worship with your community. You couldn't even sleep in your own home. You couldn't eat at the table with your family. You couldn't embrace those you loved in times of joy or times of loss. If you were a leper, you lived completely and totally apart. Unclean, unclean, you would yell in public places to make sure that no one got too close to you. And if you dared to get close enough to touch someone, you could be put to death. As a leper, you were no longer rich or poor, male or female, or even Samaritan or Jew, you were simply defined by the illness that held you prisoner. These ten lepers, united in their struggle, were united also in their plea for mercy. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And from a distance, Jesus answered their request, Go and show yourselves to the priests. The miraculous healing itself hardly gets mention. It's overshadowed by what follows. There's no dramatic prayer, no intimate touch, no incantation or prescription, just Jesus working his power at a safe distance. But as soon as the lepers were healed, something powerful happened. That ethnic distinction, which had been hidden by their leprosy, suddenly recrystallized. Jesus told them all to go and show themselves to the priests at the temple, 
But the Samaritan didn't have anywhere to go, at least not in Jerusalem. The Samaritan wouldn't have had access to that religious procedure. He didn't have a place among God's people at the Holy Temple. Being examined by a priest was a necessary step in the process of being readmitted to Jewish society. But what was the Samaritan supposed to do? Presumably, he had his own separate religious rights for joining his own separate people. But interestingly enough, instead of walking his way toward Mount Gerizim, the Samaritan leper, now healed, turned around and went back. Praising God with a loud voice and falling at the Jewish rabbi's feet, the leper thanked him. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, Jesus asked? It's easy to hear those words as a criticism of the other nine, but weren't they doing the thing that Jesus had asked them to do? Weren't they doing what was asked of them? It seems unlikely, if not unreasonable, that Jesus would be upset with them. Perhaps a better translation of Jesus' question would be, of the ten, how remarkable that this stranger is the one who comes back to give thanks to God. Jesus marvels on our behalf that a Samaritan, one separated from everything that Jesus represented by generations of sectarian conflict and violence and hatred, that this one was moved to return and offer thanks. And that faith, Jesus tells us, is what made the man well. Sometimes gratitude is harder to show than others. Last week, I was getting my hair cut when the conversation turned to the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday. There isn't much to be thankful for this year, one customer remarked from behind his mask, giving voice to the struggle that all of us are feeling. But no sooner did the words leave his mouth than one of the barbers piped up, sure there is. It's just that we've forgotten how to see it. We are all united in our struggle and in our suffering. There is no one among us, friend or foe, sibling or rival, who has not been touched by this pandemic. We have good reason to shake our fist at God and to grumble about how difficult these last nine months have been, and God would receive our grumbling patiently and generously and lovingly as a parent might receive the pain and struggle of a child. But this is also a remarkable opportunity to be thankful, difficult though it may be. It takes a little more work this year than usual to name those things for which we are grateful but there is restorative power in doing so. Practicing thanksgiving allows us to stay connected with one another and with God, not only in our struggle, but also in our restoration. Giving thanks 
reminds us that we are not alone, even when we are isolated from one another. It brings forward into our conscious lives that truth that lives deep within us, a truth sometimes hidden by our struggles, that we are beloved by God, that we are saved by God's love, and that God will forever hold us in God's loving arms. Thanks be to God. Amen.